Good morning, everyone. So, um, last night I had um, finished my preach, and like I normally do, I run through it with Jonathan, and I was preaching out to him, you know, trying to give all my heart into it. And at the end, what he said to me was, that was a very good expose of John's gospel. And I must admit, my heart sank. I kind of, I, 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 it's not what I wanted to bring. Yeah, so not what I feel that God wanted me to bring. And I, I knew I'd failed because I think that my motivation was more about making something good, making it sound good, maybe even reflecting kind of the knowledge that I have than reflecting God's heart and what he wanted to do in the time. I knew even as I was reading it out to him that I'd failed, I didn't need him to sort of like share that with me. So at six o'clock last night, I started again. And I must admit, I was kind of very tearful about it. Like, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to get it finished? But God is good, isn't he? He, he is a faithful God. I know that as we are pressing in for revival, we want to bring a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. And we sung about him today. We prayed about him today. That's what we want to press into. We want to press into Jesus. So I picked up my tablet. I had the old preacher on my screen and I picked up a tablet because I wanted to write on that and look at what I'd written before. And God, in his grace, brought up something that I had written way back in 2007 when I became a new Christian. It's like an amazing, godly moment, because I didn't bring it up on screen. You know, it must have been sat there for years and years, and suddenly it was on a tablet before me. And it read, I've had a revelation of Jesus that means I can no longer doubt the existence of God or that God is love. As I understand better who Jesus is and what he's done for me, it's like the presence of his love has washed over me. Not just the feeling of his love or the knowledge of his love, but every fibre of my being is alive and on fire for him. His love. It's like my spiritual self has been awakened, made alive in him. And his love has filled me with an overwhelming force that threatens to burst out of me where before I was barely functioning and could never have been accused of being filled with the joy of, the, of life. Now filled with the love of Jesus, my joy was uncontainable. That's what knowing Jesus does for us. Understanding who Jesus is brings uncontainable joy, brings boldness and confidence and an assurance that only can come from him. And I really loved looking back and being able to read what I'd written back then. That's what I seek. That's what I desire to bring to you today. A greater intimacy, a greater experience, a greater revelation of who Jesus is and the depth and width and breadth of his love that he has for us. Let's just pray. Father God, I just, I repent of 
making it about me. I repent of trying to make it about my ability or my gifting. Lord God, I thank you that in your graciousness, you didn't leave me wanting, but spoke to me kind of in the midst of it, Lord God. You are such a a gracious God. And Father, we desire to to meet with you today. Jesus, we desire to be intimate with you, to know you better and to experience the depth of your love. In your almighty name, amen. John's gospel reveals the deity of Christ. It unveils his sovereignty. And I urge you to spend time just reading it, meditating over it, allowing your faith to grow as you understand more and more about who this Jesus is. For it's understanding his love for us that our faith will grow and our love for him will grow too. In every chapter of John, Jesus' deity is revealed in Jesus, revealed. And Jesus' identity is understood by the titles that are given. It's called the Son of God, Messiah, the Word, the only Son, the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the resurrection and the vine. And we get to see these I am statements, which affirm his pre-existence and his eternal deity. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. The good news is he wasn't just man. He was fully God, the eternal son of God. Knowing Jesus is knowing God, revealing more of the character of Jesus is revealing more of the character of God. A couple of weeks ago, Richard shared with you the verses from John 20, where it says, again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We resent people. Luke 4, 18 tells us that we have been, what we've been sent to do. We've got it right there. Let's stand and just read those verses out together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Wow, that's like a build-up moment. God wants us to listen. Pretty scary stuff, isn't it? Go and tell people about Jesus. Heal the sick. Notice it doesn't say pray for the sick to be healed. Go tell people about Jesus, heal the sick, set people free. This is what you've been called to do. This is what I've been called to do. And I must admit, I think I'm failing in it. I think I spend too much time reading about it, being equipped for it, praying about it, than actually doing it. Imagine if you were at work and your boss gave you an assignment to do, or he gave you a paper to write, or I don't know what you do for a living, a car to build. And you went away and you came back a few days later, all excited, a 
boss, guess what? I, I really meditated over what you told me to do. I've really practiced and read the words and I know exactly at what it is that you're calling me to. But you hadn't actually done what he'd called you to do. You'd kind of be missing the point, wouldn't you? And I fear that sometimes we miss the point too in what God is calling us for. I know I am. I know I'm definitely guilty of this at times. We've been called to go. We are a sent people. We're going to have a look at John chapter 14 today. There are 31 verses, so I'm not going to go through them all. Instead, we'll pick out some, but I really, really encourage you to go and read all of the verses in John and just meditate and ask God what he's saying to you through them. So we're going to pick up in John, up in that upper room, after Judas has left, after being exposed for the one who would betray Jesus. It's the evening before Jesus would die a horrific, painful and degrading death. He knew about what was going to happen to him. He knew that he would bear the weight of our sin and our shame. He knew that his body would be broken for us. And we know that this was causing him anguish because he did say, if this cup can be taken from me. And yet his concern were for those that he was leaving behind. This Jesus, our Jesus, this selfless, compassionate, patient Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know when I'm anxious or worried or stressed, it doesn't always bring out the best in me. And even last night, as I was doing version two of this talk, I was pushed for time, I was a bit stressed, I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, maybe even a bit down on myself. And I know that I was feeling self-absorbed and couldn't have given myself to Jonathan or Lucas. Yet Jesus, as he's facing the most terrifying experience, the prospect of death on a cross, he comforted his disciples. He just told them that he was leaving them. He told them that he would be betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter. I mean, just imagine what that room must have been like. Must have been like full of joy. <laughs> what a party. These guys had given up everything to follow Jesus, just as they were commanded to do. They'd given up their jobs, their family, their comfort. And then Jesus told them that he was leaving them. So understandably, they were afraid, fearful, maybe even angry. But their fear and their hurt and their anger reveals that they'd not yet fully grasped who Jesus was, despite all the evidence of his ministry that they'd witnessed, despite all the miracles, despite the fact that they followed him for three years and he taught them and spoke to them. But even as they showed their doubts, in that moment when Jesus was waiting for his own death, Jesus was still their comforter. I guess that the fear that some of us have in fulfilling what it says over there and praying for people to be set free and praying for people to be healed and praying for and sharing the gospel, maybe that reveals a little about where our, our knowledge of Jesus is. 
How well do we know Jesus if these things stand against us and cause us fear? So Jesus is in this room with the disciples. And they're all looking kind of glum, looking a bit beaten, dejected. Jesus is comforting them. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because you believe in God, believe also in me. He then goes on to tell them he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. He will be back to take them there and they know the way. If they understood who Jesus was, this would be their time to rejoice. Wow, what an ultimate provision. Our ultimate provision is that he will prepare a place for us in his father's house. Hallelujah. That's what we get. This is our life in abundance. Do we really get this? Or do we still put our faith too much in the things of the world? Things that will ultimately fade away like money, possessions, careers. None of these things are bad in themselves. But they're not our life in abundance. Our promise is the promise of a place prepared for us in his house. The promise of the return of Jesus to come for his own. The promise that we who are in him will do greater things in his name. And the promise that we have access to the Holy Spirit 24-7. Back in that upper room, the the disciples asked a whole bunch of questions. Thomas, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we even know the way? Philip, show his father, and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father. Having worked in schools for many years, I know how frustrating it is when you've taught kids over and over again the same thing, when you've given them examples and they've shown them and you've told them and it gets to the end of the year and they still haven't a clue what you're talking about. You know, it just kind of... But not Jesus. He was patient. He was loving. He was tender to his children even in that hour even knowing what he was about to face he tells Thomas doubting Thomas I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him in other words Thomas I am God Seeing me is seeing God. And then to Philip, who's anxiously seeking some sort of visible manifestation of God. He says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Believe me when I say that I am the Father, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least to believe in the evidence of my miracles. Thomas, Philip, the other disciples, they needed a greater revelation of who Jesus was to allay their fears, to build their faith, to trust in the plans and purposes that he had for them. Can you see yourself in Thomas? Can you see yourself in Philip? The antidote to not feeling fulfilled is a greater revelation of Jesus. The antidote to fear 
is a greater revelation of Jesus. The antidote to not having the confidence to step out in all that God has for you is a greater revelation of Jesus. Your fulfillment ultimately comes from knowing who Jesus is. I said earlier we are a sent people. Luke 4.18 tells us what we've been sent to do. But John 14 tells us the purpose. And our purpose for being sent is to glorify God. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Church, this is empowerment. Knowing Jesus empowers. Knowing who you are in Christ is the key to stepping out and unlocking the authority and the power that has been given to us, that's given to you, that's given to me. Empowered believers, powered by God, means we get to do all the miracles, all the things that we saw Jesus previously do. And Jesus promised that whatever we ask in his name, whatever you ask, he will ask his Father and, to, and grant to be, so that his name will be glorified. This isn't a prosperity verse. It's not a let's get our bank accounts filled or let's get whatever we want. But it's a petition to pray for that which ultimately brings glory to God in the fabulous name of Jesus. The purpose of praying should be for the sake of glorifying God. It's the opportunity to ask and be pleasing to and glorify the one who created us. And this should shape how we pray and what we pray for. And all nations, as we covenant together to pray for all the different things that we've agreed to pray for this year, the focus has got to be to bring glory to God. Even as we pray for personal revival, that we might be changed, that our lives, our bodies, our families, our resources may glorify God. As we pray for the leaders of the church, we're praying for them that they will, whatever they, they plan to do, whatever they step into, whatever they begin to shape, they're doing it to glorify God. Even as we pray for salvations, miracles, signs and wonders, we want it done in a way that glorifies God. It's a, the mighty name of God that we want to lift up. We don't want to glorify our church. We don't want to glorify our ministries. We don't want to glorify our, our person. We want to bring glory to God and God alone. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything, everything we do, everything we say should bring glory to God. It's what we've been created for. It's what fulfills us as Christians. There's so much in these versions, that, these verses that I could pull out. I'm just going to try and pull out some of them. John 14 says, If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
Jesus showed his love by his obedience to God. In Luke 22, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Love results in obedience. We're not called to try really, really hard to be obedient to God. One thing you will never hear us stand up here and say is that this year, we're really going to be pushing into being obedient to God. We're going to try really hard to to push in and keep his commandments. You'll never hear us say that. Anybody that set up any resolutions this year will know how that one ends. But what you will hear us say is that we're going to push into God, that we're going to pursue him, that we're going to press into him and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us so that he reveals more and more about the person and the nature of Jesus. It's understanding the love of Jesus and and loving Jesus ourselves that will ultimately bring us to a place of obedience. Jesus had just told his disciples he was leaving, but he promised them he wasn't leaving them as orphans. Remember, they don't have the advantages that we have of, of the New Testament or the 66 books that give the fullness of God's redemption plan. After more than three years with with their teacher, their comforter, their father figure, they must have felt directionless, fatherless, without security. And I wonder sometimes if that's how we feel when we consider the enormity of what we've been called to do, when we look at our lives and see how well we reflect Jesus. But it's an orphan spirit that tells us that we are not good enough. It's an orphan spirit that tells us we are not brave enough, strong enough, or equipped enough to step into what we've been called to do. It's an orphan spirit that makes us look at other people and think they're better than me. They're more gifted than I am. They're the ones that are better suited to to fulfill what it says over there. It's an orphan spirit that holds us captive. And what an orphan spirit needs is Jesus. He needs a revelation of Jesus that reveals God's love, the Father's love to them. The Great News Church is we're not orphans. You're not orphans. You're sons and daughters of the king. Verse 23 says, anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. If you love Jesus, the result of his obedience and love of the father. The love of the father comes through loving Jesus. But then we see that outrageous line. And we will come and make our home in them. Wow. Hallelujah. He will come and make his home in us. He will come and dwell with us. The God of the universe chooses to come and dwell with you and dwell with me. That's outrageous. You think about the whole story. God walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden and sin separated him from man. He appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, communicating freely with them. 
He revealed himself to Moses in the desert. He made his dwelling place in the tabernacle with the Israelites. Then he dwelt in the temple that Solomon had built. And then he dwelt in Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise to restore his people. And now his promise is to dwell in us, to dwell in you and I. The veil of the temple got torn in two. No longer do we have to go to high priests to intercede on our behalf. No longer do we have to make sacrifices or go through cleansing rituals to step into the throne room of grace. God has made his home in us, in our very core. It's just amazing, outrageous love. Charles Spurgeon says, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Spurgeon had a lot to say about our growth in faith. He had this lecture entitled For Little Faith, and in it he outlines what little faith looks like and what growth in faith might end up looking like. He says, first of all, we look to Christ and he talks about clouds of doubt and the need for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to shine on the cross. And then talks about coming to Christ, limping, creeping to a better understanding of who he is. He goes on to say that the next step would be lay hold on Christ, recognising his deity, that he is our saviour. Next one, leaning on to Christ, casting all our burdens, cares, sorrows, griefs and sins on him. And then the final one is trusting in Christ alone. And he goes on to say there's no state more rapturous and blessed. I don't know about you, but I don't think I have a problem recognising the deity of Christ, recognising that he is my Lord and Saviour. I think where I often stumble is casting my troubles on him, my fears on him, my grief on him, my worries on him. Too often I lean on my own understanding. Too often I put my trust in things like striving, achieving, succeeding, and not resting, knowing, trusting in him. Guys, we need to not mishear what I'm trying to say here today. Those verses that we read out together at the beginning are calling every Christian, everyone who put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, everyone to do this. This is all of your commission. The Spirit of the Lord is on you because he's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. The size of your faith doesn't discount you from this calling. It, you're not called to get it all sorted and then come back and do this and start proclaiming the good news. As you allow the Holy Spirit free reign in your life, as he reveals more and more of the person of Jesus, we get to do this with greater boldness, greater freedom and greater joy. We have been given the Holy Spirit and the provision of God's peace. Through him we can do all things, but our motivation must be Christ. Our lives must be lived out as a, a gospel testimony. If you want to 
know the joy of Christ, take up your cross. You must pursue him and pursue him alone. Not the stuff, not the blessings, not the things of the world, but Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Do you want to stand? We're going to come to the communion table now. As we do, we get to share in the moment in that upper room when Jesus broke the bread and he declared, this is my body. I'll be broken for you. It's broken for our sin, for our shame. Broken so that we could be restored to God. Broken so that we could have life in abundance and eternal life. And then he shared the cup of wine. It was signifying his blood that was poured out, that was spilt for you. The very blood flowing out of him so that our lives could be secure in him. The final words in the upper room where Jesus says, come now, let us leave. It's time to leave here, time for Jesus to go and do what he was sent to do. Just as disciples would be sent out at Pentecost, just as you're sent out to do what you're called to do. As we come to the communion table and remember afresh what Jesus did, what Lord you have done for us, how we just surrender our lives afresh. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give us a greater revelation of Jesus, a greater revelation of who he is. Lord, we thank you for the, the fullness of your plan has been revealed in your word. Jesus, we want to know you more. We want to love you better. Lord, we ask you to turn on us afresh, to, to set a fire again, that gospel message in our hearts. Light the fires in our heart for hope for this nation. Lord, light fires across this town that they may know this person of Jesus, that they may know that he is our Lord and our Saviour. And Lord, we pray for a new boldness. We pray for a boldness to share your miracles, your signs and wonders, to pray for salvation, to pray for healing. Lord, to bring glory to you. Lord, we ask us to help to sacrifice ourselves afresh to you, to take up our cross, to follow you so that our lives may be a living sacrifice to you. We're going to come and share in communion now. And when, I, when we've done, I invite you to just come as a, a family of believers. This is a, a corporate thing, but it's also an individual response. Just repent of where you've not put him first. Repent of where you're, he's not the centre. Ask him afresh for a greater revelation. Ask him afresh to reveal himself to you. Boldness comes out of knowing him. That sense of that fire where I shared at the beginning, that sense of excitement to, that bursts out, that joy that bursts out only comes from knowing him.
So ask for it. Ask again, Lord, come into our lives. Fill us afresh. Set a fire in our hearts. We want to bring the gospel to the nation and the nations. In your almighty name, amen.